you can hallelujah well praise god hallelujah where two or more are gathered in his name there he is in the midst of us so i trust he's here he said he was so he is hallelujah we're studying hosting the presence of god with this is lesson number six out of eight this will be the final part of six um and number six is titled the prototype for normal christianity the prototype for normal christianity we know in this church that we're called to host uh, a move of god host a move of god which is just practically like saying hosting the presence well in fact you couldn't have a move of god without the presence so glory to god the lord's helping us he's given his holy angels to help us i know one night um, several years ago i was in my bedroom propped up in bed reading and i saw angels at the foot of my bed they were dressed in roman roman like roman garb and uh I got up. I don't know why. I just got up and went in the uh, bathroom. And and I when I as I was going, I said, "Lord, what's that all about?" And He said, "That's those are angels sent to 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 help you get the job done in Tuscaloosa County." So thank heavens for the angels. Uh, they're doing their work. They're doing our their part. Um, God's shown up in the gold over here. Hallelujah! No other explanation for it. Thank you, Lord, and we're easily persuaded to believe. And so uh, Pam sent me a picture yesterday of the when it first started and now, and it's definitely expanded. <laughs> and uh, she's also sent me a picture of it in the dark, and it is it is really gold and glittery. And so, you know, we're just thanking God for it because we want the supernatural in this church and it's just a sign and a wonder it's a sign that God's with us it's a sign that God is his good hand is upon us it's a sign that that he's blessing what we're doing amen yes it brought great encouragement it brought a lot of hope it it just it just it activated faith didn't it and so we're we're thankful we've been expressing our thanks to god that he would bring a sign and a wonder here to us and uh to this church hallelujah and that's a that's there's a lot of good stuff going on praise god so uh the prototype for normal christianity uh, let's just do a little review from last week when we watched the video and it says the presence of god was never meant to rest on something man created the presence of God was never meant to rest on something man created. So that will mess up a lot of things about religion. Uh, you think about um, a lot of religions have a lot of artifacts. And they think that the, uh, that the presence of God rests on that. And some people wear... Now, you know, of course, I like to wear crosses just as a testimony. I'm a Christian. Um, but if you wear a cross or a whatever some saint or whatever around your neck thinking that would bring the presence of god on you and the and would uh cause you to be protected then you would be misled wouldn't you by by religion so the presence of god doesn't rest on things or or man created things that borders on having idols nearly when you begin to trust in some sort of a, a thing uh, uh, there's people that have have I like I have some angels in my house. I just enjoy just thinking about angels and thinking about how God has angels. But I 
do not think that the having an angel in my room will cause any type of presence to be in my room. And when you do, then you would be misled. Uh, or if you think that a cross, having a cross in your house, it's, I, it's great, I think. It's a testimony. People come in and they see your cross and they say, well, these people must be Christian. Or they see the cross on the outside of houses. I know across the street they have a cross on their house. And uh, so that's how, that's the way we can tell they're Christians is because they have that cross. Um, so, but it does not rest on created things. The presence of God rests on people and not on ministries. So that kind of uh, messes up anybody that would say like, well, that building over there, uh, you know, the presence of God is at that building in Coker. And so got to attach myself to that building that would be a wrong way of thinking because the presence of God is on people and when we locked the door and walked out the presence of God walked out because the presence of God was on all of us and uh, hallelujah it's not uh, uh, so then going on the tabernacle of David is the prototype of the New Testament church We'll talk about that more in a little bit. David danced before the presence, not after. I think that's one of the things that impacted me the most about what we studied last week is that we don't wait for the presence to come and then respond by dancing or respond by uh, shouting or but it, although we if the presence was here, we would be doing all those things, but we don't wait for that. We do like David did, and we dance before the presence comes. We dance before the presence, not after. We we shout before the presence, not after. We, you know, praise before we sense the presence of God. In fact, most of the time, when I'm in my private time, I'll begin to praise Him, and sometimes it's quite a while of praise and even prayer, and then all of a sudden, I'll sense the Holy Spirit just come in, come in on me. A lot of times, I'll be praying and and with my eyes shut, and and I'll know Holy Spirit's there because all of a sudden I'll see a color, and uh, that's the way it happens to me sometimes. Sometimes I feel something, but a lot of times I just, you know. That's one of the things, ways it happens. Uh, <clears throat> worship appears foolish to those not per participating. Um, uh, it also appears, there's some other things worship appears besides foolish. Sometimes it appears scary to those not participating. I know before we got filled with spirit, when people raised their hands, that was scary feeling or looking or whatever. Even clapping was scary, you know, um, it also, I think, uh, to those not participating, it also appears worship, and especially passionate worship, uh, out there, demonstrative worship appears unnecessary to those who are bound by pride or to those that are stuck in religion or those that are just stuck, period. So that's some things we got out of last week. And then last week we covered lesson number one, which was what happens when the world starts coming in. And uh, we, know, we learned last week that revival is messy. Hallelujah. The, the bigger the revival, the more, the, re, the more power and presence is pos that, that is in the revival, the messier it is. Um, hallelujah. God does do things decently and in order, but it's according to his standard, not according to some standard of religion. Hallelujah. 
we're not even very wild at this church yet. And uh, but most pe- most churches in town would say, well, they're not decent. They're not doing things decently and in order because we don't do you know it in. We don't have a plan. We just let a, have a Holy Ghost plan. So revival's messy. When God's presence collides with us, it produces dramatic, unusual, and uncomfortable things. I know it's done that before in my life. I remember one time. We went to, before we moved to Alabama, we went to a um, Mark Brzee meeting where he came to San Angelo, Texas. And we just, me and Pastor, God was doing a work in us. He was preparing us to come to Alabama. And uh, I'm telling you what, I just, and we were in a kind of a community center. It wasn't all that, it wasn't a clean floor like this. And it was just like, we couldn't stay out of the floor. I felt like I mopped the floor with my dress because we were just in the floor over and over and over again. Hallelujah. So it's messy. It's not, um, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not always pretty. It's not always, uh, that's why we have modesty clause because sometimes things, fly that shouldn't fly and <laughs> hallelujah it's undignified hallelujah uh we've seen pit we've saw one in coker we saw somebody turn a cartwheel one time i don't know if y'all remember that there's been times that people have run up the wall uh, and and you know we probably hadn't seen anything yet glory to god anyway so we have to count the cost but you get so hungry that you say oh, lord i'm uh, even like David, I'll be more undignified still. I'm willing to be more undignified still. I just have to have you. Bill Johnson prayed the prayer. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I just have to have more of you. And uh, hallelujah. When we receive an encounter, this was last week, when you receive an encounter, you receive an encounter in order to be an encounter. Hallelujah. You can't, you don't carry what you've not experienced. And so we all have to experience more so we can help people more, don't we? Hallelujah. We, we studied last week in Luke 14, 23. He, Jesus said to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Well, you know, and I admit it, we've been there and most everybody that's been involved in church for a very length of time at all, has been, let's just pray they'll come in. But the Bible never said for us to pray they'd come in. He said, go out. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And uh, in that parable that Jesus gave, he talked about, the the man said, uh, we've invited all these people that they went after the wealthy, they went after the religious, they went after the prim and proper, the, the, the high society people, and all of those people made excuses. And uh, Jesus told them to bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And those kind of people are wounded and broken uh, by all sorts of things in their past and you know whatever and uh, they're messy and they're broken but they are the first in line for an encounter with God hallelujah so that's who we're to be going after thank you Jesus now that doesn't mean you don't invite anybody that's wealthy or religious or prim and proper because the prim and proper can get knocked off of their high horse hallelujah that's all some of us did. 
You know, you don't have to be tremendously wealthy. And I would say we were high society in Seagraves, Texas. High society in Seagraves, Texas wouldn't have been very high in Tuscaloosa, I can tell you for sure. But there we were high society and we got knocked off of our, by an encounter with God, we got knocked off of our high horse. Hallelujah. And then let's go into lesson two tonight. And in lesson two, it talks about God's house Old Testament style. In Colossians 2.17, we're to turn over there. Now we're going to have to make hay tonight. So thank you, Lord. Colossians 2.17. He talks about uh, the things of the Old Testament. And in, when he gets down, now we're not going to read the whole thing, but when he gets down to verse 17, he says, are a shadow of things to come. A shadow of things to come. So uh, everything that happened in the Old Testament, we know, was a shadow of things to come. So there's five examples in the Old Testament of God's house. And number one is was found in Genesis 28. Now, we studied this extensively a few weeks ago about the, the Jacob's ladder. The Jacob's ladder to heaven. The uh, He said... Uh, when J when Jacob awoke from his dream, he had seen angels ascending and descending up the ladder, and he uh, he said when he woke up, he said, "This is none other than the house of God or the gateway of God." I loved what Pastor Moss said about the church is the gateway. Uh, that was really good. Um, <clears throat> So Jacob's vision of the ladder, to, and he's talking about the body of Christ. The world, He's not talking about a building being the gateway. Um, so Jacob's ladder to heaven, um, there was no building there. He was out in the middle of nowhere sleeping with his head on a rock, but the God's presence were, were there. And it's God's presence is what makes it his house. Now, when we think about that and we carry it over to the New Testament, it's not, it's the God's presence on us. And, and that makes us that we are the house of God. And then the second uh, uh, example of God's house in the Old Testament was the tabernacle of Moses. And the tabernacle of Moses was a prophetic portrait of Jesus. We do not have time to study all the things about the tabernacle of Moses tonight, but that would be good something to study sometime. But every piece of furniture, you know about it, is, uh, was spoke of the coming Messiah, spoke of Jesus. Hallelujah. Then the third example of God's house was the Temple of Solomon. And the Temple of Solomon was the most glorious and beautiful structure on the face of the earth at that time. And it represented man's best efforts to host God's presence. It was man's attempt to house God in a structure consistent with his worth. But how many of you would know that, that it didn't measure up? No matter how glorious it is, man can't make anything that's worthy of God, that's worthy of his presence. It cannot be man-made. And then the fourth one is the restored temple of Solomon. We know the temple of Solomon was destroyed, the first temple. And the second temple of Solomon, the restored one, was twice the size, which was to be a demonstration of God's ability to restore things to even bigger than they were. The one thing about the second temple was that it did not came, contain the beauty of the former temple. Uh, and I think that represents that in the New Testament that 
uh, even speaks to us of Jesus and what his life would be. You know, he came to a manger. He didn't come to a palace to be born. He humbled himself. He came in a very lowly way. And uh, that was pictured in that temple. And then the fifth thing is the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David, David was specifically built for worship. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The priests were there. And the presence was there. God was present, and the priests ministered to God nonstop, day and night. And uh, uh, hallelujah. That speaks of, let's go to Amos and look at some of the things about, let's look at this last one, because probably of all the ten, all of the New Testament examples of God's house, this is the most uh, important. Amos 9, verse 11. And this Amos 9:11, what its point is is that it's talking about that the tabernacle of David was to be restored. It was a prophetic word from Amos, one of the minor prophets, and it says, "In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old." that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. And so he was speaking of a New Testament day, a new covenant day, a day when the tabernacle of David or that tabernacle, that worship would be restored. Well, we see that. We're living where that's happening. It's, I believe that started happening um, during the charismatic renewal and probably before that in pockets but it became just widespread. Last week I read to you uh, that book that was written in 2005 of how God is moving tremendously throughout the earth with signs and wonders. And, and uh, any time you find worshiping people, you're going to find those signs, those wonders. You're going to see uh, awesome things. Acts 15.7 in the New Testament. And so I know... Uh, that was one of the sign. That was one of the hallmarks, I would say, of the charismatic renewal. Is people really began to worship, and people got out the guitar. I had never seen or heard of a guitar in church. I'm I'm sure there was someone, some, but till the charismatic renewal, and then we began to have a, the guitar, and we began to have the drums. Remember, have the tambourines got out, came out in the charismatic renewal. Hallelujah. Now, I still admire anybody and keep... Now, we had some horrible tambourine players, a lot of them during the charismatic renewal, and on into the 70s, and I, I mean, on into the 80s, and because uh, sometimes people like me picked up a tambourine just because we love God so much, but just couldn't keep beat, couldn't keep a beat for anything. But somebody that can really play that thing, I'm telling you, it is a, it's a sign and wonder. It is a marvel. It is, um, it's awesome. Hallelujah. The drums and all those things begin to come around in the charismatic renewal, and they've just increased ever since. And our worship has changed. You know, we started with the scripture songs, which are still good. And then we went to, uh, I remember we went to the Jewish songs. Y'all remember the Jewish phase that we all went through. Um, and that was that was really good, and those songs were good, except that we had a keyboard player at our church that could only play in the key of C. And all those Jewish songs are written in minor keys. Oh, that was a clash. Oh, I'm telling you what, that would hurt you. 
<laughs> but, but you know, we did it all with a joyful heart. We were so, so much wanted to praise the Lord. In fact, we had in our Bible study, we also had a key, keyboard player that could only play in the key of C. And then we, in our church, we had one that, uh, hallelujah. And um, so, and then we, we just, we just went through, then we went through the Hosanna phase, That's, you know, and then, hallelujah, I don't have time to go through it all, but uh, we've been through a lot of, I believe we've been going higher is what I'm trying to say. We started out, we've been going higher and higher and higher and, uh, uh, and glory to God. We're glad of it, aren't we? Uh, so Acts fifteen seventeen. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Uh, verse 16. Sorry. Uh, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And so this is uh, in the book of Acts where they're talking about that God's going to uh, rebuild the tabernacle of David. Hallelujah. And don't y'all find it interesting? I was reading this morning in First John and how... They said they kept talking about the last days, the last that the last days. In fact, even uh, Jesus referred to the last days that it started. The last days started on the day of Pentecost, and from the day of Pentecost, we're still in the last days. <laughs> Hallelujah! So the tabernacle of David is to be restored. Let's go to First Peter, and that's what has happened happening that is what is happening isn't it a you know i i, I remember to, i've told you all this before but i'll say it again but uh, my family the healing revival that went from 1948 right after world war ii ended and ended up in about 57 or something like that where there was just tremendous uh healing voice of healing ministers and brother moss tells us sometimes about all the people all the healing ministers that he knew during the voice of healing and some of those we hadn't heard of but um he met a lot of them personally and um and i i heard brother hagan say that there was over a hundred ministers that were in the voice of healing in those days but my family missed that whole healing revival and I know even through the 60s, the early 60s, when Catherine Kuhlman was on TV, when Oral Roberts was on TV, of course, we only got three stations. That might have been one reason. And they were in black and white, and you had to turn TV on with a pair of channel locks. So, <laughs> you know, we probably missed a lot of stuff. But, uh, but we didn't miss I Love Lucy and all that kind of stuff, you know. So our family missed that. And, you know, there's people right now that are missing they're missing stuff right now they're they're and i don't ever want to be one that's missing what god's doing again my family missed it but i i boy when we got filled with the spirit in 1980 one of my prayers was god catch us up another one of my prayers is god don't do anything in the world that you don't let me be in on because i'm just like i i want to be i want to be there if you're doing it i want to be there and so hallelujah and that's answered a prayer right there because he's doing it in other places in the world hallelujah and he's been doing it a long time it's not like it it he just started doing it no I've been reading about it since 1999, reading about it, and it was happening before that. Okay, hallelujah. 1 Peter 2, 5. 
So I know you agree with me on that. Ye also, as lively stones are built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I might have got that one out of order. But there's right there is where it talks about that we are uh, a holy priesthood. Now, if you go back to where the tabernacle of David, and you remember that the priests were there, the tabernacle of David was built for worship. The priests were there. The presence was there. And so we now are priests. We are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. It is our, we are, we are, how do I say this? It's our job to worship. It's our job to bring spiritual sacrifices. And we bring a sacrifice of praise. The Old Testament says that. But uh, the New Testament says that the sacrifice of uh, our praise is uh, the, the fruit of our lips giving thanks. Now, tonight we sang something in that last song about bringing glory to God. Well, how are we going to bring glory to God? The number one way you bring glory to God is in your, through your mouth. You you know there you can watch them on TV. There are churches on TV. I can think of one of them in particular in San Antonio. I won't call any names. Well, you know who I'm talking about. But they do a lot of this. They don't do very much of this at all. Now I'm not criticizing them, but that's not that's not the highest form of praise. And it's real. It's a lot easier to clap your hands than it is to 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 the fruit of your lips giving thanks. That's the sacrifice of praise. We used to sing a song called, I'm going to bring, give the Lord the highest praise. And Remember that? Hallelujah. Uh, Y'all remember that? Okay. And, and every time we sing that, I always got up and say it. What's the highest praise? The highest praise is the fruit of your lips. That is the highest praise. And so it doesn't matter if you sing it or say it, that's the highest praise. And then after that is the praise we live it's it's real easy to clap your hands but let's live let we you know we got to live the glory to god and then you know we can bring the things that are of the flesh the of the flesh is the dancing and the clapping that's that's the our body we're using our body to glorify god but hallelujah but god doesn't want that before he wants the fruit of our lips and he wants uh so does that make sense to y'all? And so we are those priests, and it's important that we, you know, we need to know how God wants it instead of assuming and having traditions of men, and we need to know what pleases Holy Ghost. Uh, lesson number three, the presence and the priests. So we're the priests. We already found that out, so we'll go on from there. Let's go to First Chronicles 15.2. First Chronicles 15.2. I'm going to have to put my pedal to the metal. No, man. You're not, you know, if you can't say Jesus is Lord, and I'm not talking about this room, obviously, but hallelujah, you can't believe how hard that is for some people. But no man's saved that can't say Jesus is Lord. They're not born again if they can't say Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says. Uh, so it's that it's that mouth John First uh, Chronicles, where am I? First Chronicles 15, 2. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the God chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. So in the Old Testament, God chose the Levites. Um, hallelujah. 
I want to say this is so interesting. You may not have ever thought of this, but hosting the God's hosting God's presence was David's number one priority. And think about he's the king of Israel, the king of Israel, and his number one priority was hosting the or hosting God's presence. It was King David's paramount pursuit was worship, and that is why he. He found such favor with God. Is that's the reason, and 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 that should be our paramount paramount pursuit. Paramount. That's a better way to say it. Paramount pursuit, hosting the presence of God, and it is as a church that is our pursuit is to host His presence and our number one priority. Think about all the stuff a king has to do. We don't even have a clue how busy. But I just wonder uh, who in Israel now. It's that their paramount pursuit. God wanted to release a glimpse of grace while while the old covenant and the old covenant system was still in place. He wanted to show a glimpse of grace. And that's what happened in the story where David goes David wants the presence of God so much in Jerusalem that he goes to remember the house of Obed-Edom to get the presence of God because he hears that Obed-Edom is getting blessed. And so it was a very well-planned event. All of Israel was planning for this. And the streets were lined with people. And there was a symphony of worship going forth. And the finest ox cart in the land was obtained. And the priests took their place for a grand entry into Jerusalem. And Uzzah reached out. This ox, we, we know that the ox stumbled. And Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the cart. And he had good intentions, but God's anger burned. And, you know, that might be, uh, we might think that's a little harsh. But um, it, the reason God's anger is burned, because it was irreverent. He had, Uzzah had a spirit of irreverence, obviously, because he, uh, uh, he did what he was not supposed to do. And the, the, the key, the, I guess the lesson you learn, we learn from this story is that the presence cannot be manhandled. And we should learn that in our day. We can't control the presence. Uh, we can't control it by, and make it come. And we can't, we're not supposed to control it and try to make it stop or make it leave. And when people try to make it stop or make it leave, and let me tell you, there's been many a deacon board that did that very thing. I know they did it in Seagraves, Texas. There was a man in the church filled the spirit. This is, and he'd been filled the spirit longer than we had. But the deacon board, First Baptist Seagraves, said, We've got to get rid of Johnny Gooding. Johnny Gooding was filled with the Spirit and was having a Bible study, after, not during church hours, but at another play, another hour. And uh, he, they said, we've got to get rid of Judy, Johnny Gooding. They called a special meeting. We were there. We were at the special meeting. And we were just barely filled with the Spirit. It was like a month after we got filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and they had a vote that night and they voted to kick Johnny Gooding and his wife out of the church First Baptist Seagraves and nobody had been kicked out of the church since I grew up with next door to the piano player of the, the church and when she was a young woman like in the 30s the 1930s she got kicked out of First Baptist Seagraves for dancing 
But she had evidently forgiven and come back because her and her, she was the piano player, her sister was the organ player. So nobody had been kicked out since then. And Johnny got kicked out that day. And one of the deacons called my mom into a, and Jimmy, her husband, into a room and said, we got Johnny Gooding and Michael Billings is next. And uh, we didn't want them to have, have to have a special church meeting to get rid of us. So we just resigned the church and slipped out and came out, like Brother Hagin said, came out among the Pentecostals <laughs> and went down to First Assembly of God. Amen. So we have had an interesting life in some senses of the word. So you cannot, men are not to control the presence of God. Hallelujah. And sometimes men will want you to control it another way. They will want you to make something happen for them. Uh, hallelujah. So um, <clears throat> God will not ride on ox carts. His presence will not reside on anything that's man-made. The key is here that we recognize the true resting place of God. His presence is always carried on priests, and we are priests because of Jesus' blood. And we just read that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Lesson number four, perfect theology, perfect prototype. John 14, 12, you know this scripture very well. This is something that you have underlined, marked, and you've quoted. There's nobody in here that does not know this scripture. John 14, 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So the greater works that we will do. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate prototype. He, Jesus hosted the presence of God perfectly. So if we want to know how to host the presence of God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus the Jesus was Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ means Jesus the anointed one. And you we have an opportunity of partaking of the anointing that he modeled. And right here says that we will. We can never be Jesus Messiah. Now this is where religion will get really upset with you when you begin to say uh that uh, we're like a, we're just we're little Jesuses, or and that's actually what Christian means means little Christ, or little anointed one Christian. That's what it means. And so you could just as we could easily as we, as we say Jesus the Christ because Jesus the Christ was not his kingly title, but we could say uh, Eric the anointed one. Michael the anointed one, Melissa the anointed one. And we wouldn't be saying they were Christ. We would just be saying they were carrying an anointing. And we cannot ever be Jesus the Messiah, neither do we ever need to be, because he paid the whole price and did it all, and he was unparalleled in that. Jesus was both divine, but he also stripped himself of his divinity, and he ministered in the earth. Everything he did in the earth, he did as a man, except... Uh, uh, even uh, even going to the cross, he we went as a man. But from the resurrection on, hallelujah, because a man had to die for our sins, not divinity. Had to, It wasn't divinity that had to die for our sins. It was a man that had to die for our sins. It was a man that had to, to stand in the gap for us and bear the penalty. And none of us could ever have done what Jesus did. In fact, that's why God sent Jesus is because no man could ever do it. Because we we could not lead a sinless life. But Jesus, why could Jesus lead a sinless life and not us? Well, because we have this seed 
when we're born, we have this seed of Adam in us. And it is a sin nature. It is, um, it is vile. It is rebellion. It is the seed of rebellion. It is all of that in us. But Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, he, uh, it, and, and sin, uh, the, the Mary just, her part was just to build the body. Jesus, God's part, everything of the blood and everything that was passed down came from God. And so Jesus did not carry that seed of Adam. And so because of that, it's the seed of Adam is the reason we sin. We're not, we not only sin because of that, we are sin. We're not just, we don't just sin. We are sin until we're born again. And once we're born again, we have something new on the inside of us. Now all we, you may see, you may see Christians do something bad, but that's their flesh acting up or their soul or their unrenewed mind. Hallelujah. But if they can get their mind, if we can get our mind renewed and we can get our flesh under, hallelujah, we don't have to sin. We can walk a sinless life under the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, in a sinless life, I don't mean, we don't have to sin every day is what I'm trying to say. Hallelujah. We'll never live a sinless life. So the Messiah came because God knew he knew no one on earth could do it. He is Messiah. Jesus is both Messiah and he's our model. And we can follow his model in living righteously. We can live like Jesus lived on the earth. We can follow his model in loving others. Uh and we can follow his model and how he ministered and how he, he, he helped people and, and healed people. We follow his model in that. Jesus didn't heal as God. He healed as, hallelujah, the Son of Man. Does that make perfect sense to everybody? Hallelujah. Now, you see people get mixed up about this all the time. Um, you see people, we've been talking about presidential candidates lately and so you see christian presidential candidates that i say they're too christian <laughs> can you be too christian i don't mean too christian but there's no way to describe it except maybe they're too into religion and they only see jesus from one standpoint they see him kind always have always helping you know, if there was 10 million refugees, would be, well, we're Christians. It's our responsibility to take them. But Jesus also, I, I said, I told Pastor, I said, well, I want a Christian president, but I want one that knows about Jesus turning the money changers' tables over. We need a money changer table turning over president of the United States that's a Christian Hallelujah. Does that make any sense? Hallelujah. Do, do with it what you want to. Um, <clears throat> let, so Jesus is a model for us in hosting the presence. Uh, lesson number five, living with the dove in mind. John 1.32. Now, some of these things have been touched on in other, uh, other lessons, but we'll talk on this again, John 1.32, because it is an important thing. And we know in John 1.32, it says, And John bare records, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from above like a dove, and it abode upon him. I guess the best part about that verse is that last phrase where it says, It abode upon him. Does any other version say something else? Anybody got something? 
remained upon him. I knew one version said that remained upon him. So that's very important. That that little phrase, it remained. The, the Holy Spirit came upon him and it remained. Remember what Bill said about uh that every Christian has Jesus on has excuse me, has the presence on the inside, but unfortunately every Christian does not have the presence of God on the outside, but we are to be carriers of God's presence. And Jesus was the ultimate prototype for hosting the presence of God. Uh, he, the reason that the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained was because he was without sin. You know, people, uh, a lot of times, especially there was I don't know, I don't know if it's still out there, but there was real hyper grace out there. Uh, and a lot of people called it hyper grace. And of course, we believe in grace, for by grace are you saved. And uh, we believe there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We stand for those things. But to, to give people the idea that it's okay to sin because God doesn't really care, and uh, hallelujah. And we know but Pastor Buzzy said God solved the sin problem. And God's not worried about sin. He's not as worried as preachers are about sin. We know he said all those things, and it's all true. It's all true, but we still are to endeavor to to not we're not to, we're not to have an excuse for sin. And all you have to do is uh, just go back here in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you're going to find that there's a lot of things that you know the Bible says you won't inherit the 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 kingdom of God if you are. And, you know, there's a long list of stuff there. And so we're to, we're to, we have something on the inside that is designed to help us not sin on the outside. And if you have, if, if somebody, I'm not saying to y'all, but if somebody has a constant desire uh, to sin, something's wrong. For sure they need a, they need deliverance. And it could be that they've not ever even been born again because going down the front of the church and say, uh, uh, you know, especially if the, you know, say, well, do you believe in Christ? Well, I wouldn't trust that person's salvation as far as I could throw them. Hallelujah. There's been a lot of people get saved and not really be saved. Pastor says you're not saved unless you're saved. Or something to that effect. You're not saved unless you're saved. Hallelujah. Okay, moving on. So, uh, because of the blood of Jesus, we're qualified to enjoy the same experience with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come and remain on us. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a dove. Now, when you really get here that the Holy Spirit's a person, not a dove, it's going to change how you address Holy Spirit. I know the first time we were with Mary Fran Varallo in a meeting, and she talked about Holy Spirit. And she, talked, she said Holy Spirit. She didn't say the Holy Spirit. It's like, it kind of made me uncomfortable. It's like I wasn't used to addressing Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And we can address Him as Holy Spirit. If we think of Holy Spirit as a dove, you will see Him as an it. Instead of as a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. 
He's just as much a person as Jesus. Hallelujah. So we can have relationship with Holy Spirit. Benny Hinn's book, which Eric talked about, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I didn't even know you could talk to Holy Spirit. I was actually taught you shouldn't talk to Holy Spirit. You should only talk to uh, Jesus. But we talk to God the Father, we talk to Jesus, and we talk to Holy Spirit. The only thing that, only limit we have is that we're supposed to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. When we pray and make requests, we're supposed to, that's how we're supposed to pray. The Holy Spirit lives in every born-again believer, and unfortunately, He does not rest upon every believer. Holy Spirit lives in me for my sake and rests upon me for the sake of the world. Bill pointed out that saying, you know, he says, I ask the people the question, um, what does it mean to live with the dove in mind? He said, he said he always features, a, you know, Holy Spirit resting upon his shoulder like a dove. And he says, what does it mean to, to live with the dove in mind? And he said, most often he gets the answer of, well, live carefully. And he said, but that's not good enough. But the right answer is that we take every step with the dove in mind. Every step with the dove in mind. That takes a lot of, that. that's something that's like, it's something we have to practice. It's like Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God. When you practice that. In other words, you have to work at making yourself uh, conscious. Conscious of Holy Spirit. Conscious that He's there. Talking to Holy Spirit. Conscious of Him and talking to Him. And uh, working at changing the way we address Him. He, but Pastor Brother Bill said, it's not about being hyper aware of our actions. In other words, always thinking about what we're doing. Uh, but he said it's living aware of the Holy of Holy Ghost. I don't, the rest of my notes are gone, so I guess I'll stop. I know I had some more stuff about being conscious of the Holy Spirit, but I printed this out, and uh, right before lunch and then we had to go get our car and everything and so i came back this afternoon and i was in and this and this afternoon i was in my office i shut down my computer and everything i shut saved it shut down my computer after i'd printed it out and uh so i don't know what was about this but i guess the holy ghost was trying to tell me something i wasn't listening but i'm sitting there and the computer shut down folded up my laptop and I'm balancing my bank statement, and all of a sudden, my printer just fired up and started shooting out papers. And I hadn't even opened my computer. And I'm like, what is that all about? And it was the sermon, again, printing out. And, and I guess that was the better version. And this one, something was wrong with this one because I'm missing some notes there. Hallelujah. But let's just be aware of Holy, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Can we just right now just uh, just look in our heart, look in your spirit man, or, or just be conscious of Holy Spirit being upon you, resting on you? Holy Spirit, we want 
more of you. We want to encounter, have encounters with you. Holy Spirit, we, are, we love you, and this love we have for you is growing. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our teacher. You're, you're guiding us. You're guiding us into all truth. You're showing us the way. You're our comforter, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our intercessor. Holy Spirit, invade our space and give us encounters. We open our hearts to you. We thank you, Jesus, for sending Holy Ghost to us. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, and we acknowledge that we couldn't even be born again, that the new birth is a work of the Holy Ghost in our hearts. It was the Holy Ghost that drew us. It was the Holy Ghost that revealed Jesus to us. It was Holy Ghost that showed us our need and showed us that we needed a Savior, that we were sinners. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I remember it, Holy Spirit. I remember it. And then, Holy Spirit, it was you that wooed us and brought us further and said and, and, and spoke in our hearts, you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You, you wooed us to that. You drew us. And that we're so thankful. We're so glad that it happened. And then, Holy Spirit, you've been leading us. You've been showing us the plan. You've been showing us the calling and our calling. You've been, you've been working with us, Holy Spirit. Don't stop, Holy Spirit. Forgive us for all the times that we just took you for granted. And we ignored you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us when we ignored Holy Ghost. Forgive.